Welcome back to the podcast, y'all. This is Michael, and you are listening to Empathy And. Here's a question. Can you tell me what the following stories have in common? Moby Dick, Jane Eyre, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Dune, The Wizard of Oz, O Brother, Where Art Thou, The Goonies, The Matrix, The Lion King, To Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and Star Wars. Do you know? The genius of Star Wars, and in all of these other stories, are not in their fantastical settings or in the technological wonders of a galaxy far, far away. It's not even in the technicolor palette of the unique worlds we travel to or the creatures we meet. The sheer genius of these stories are in their blatant and bold adherence to a story, a particular kind of arc within a story. The story itself is not that unique. It shows up everywhere. What is it? Well, that story is the hero's journey, and it is the underlying architecture of the narrative of all of these stories. But when we talk about Star Wars, it actually becomes its own plot device. It is no secret that Joseph Campbell's work was of great influence to George Lucas. George himself has admitted that many times. The power of the journey is not in its heroic or epic characters or the special powers. It is in the depths to which the characters must come to know who they are and their place in the larger world. And that the journey, well, the journey never really ends. In a way, this episode makes perfect sense to have right after our Advent series and at the beginning of a new year. So, if you remember, with Advent, we fix our attention to what is coming. The hope of a new reality that's not quite here. The faith that we will take the next best step. The joy of the journey appreciating the hills and the valleys for what they are. And then we have the peace. The peace of the empathy revolution. The collective vibration that is raised up to a level that gives us a new normal. These guideposts help us along our own hero's journey. This episode might be a little bit heavy on the exposition of the hero's journey. We're actually going to discuss it in detail and how it's played out in some of the most famous and popular books and movies. Then I'm going to point our attention inwards where we discuss how the hero's journey can be invaluable as a tool of self-discovery. This episode might be a little bit longer than usual, so strap in. It's 2020, all. Let's start it off with a bang. Welcome to Empathy and A New Hope. Empathy is a superpower, and you have it. It is the energy of human connection. It's biological, sociological, and spiritual in nature. And it is something that we are hardwired for. Empathy is the key to deep, meaningful, and thriving relationships. Welcome to the conversation. This is Empathy And.
Joseph Campbell was a professor of literature and comparative mythology at Sarah Lawrence College in Yonkers, New York. He taught there for 38 years. It's a long time. He is most known for his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and subsequently the documentary he participated in with Bill Moyers that actually dug into the content of that book. Now, the content was his work in describing the monomyth. Now, bookmark that word in your brain. We're going to come back to it in a second. The documentary that he participated in was titled The Power of Myth, and that debuted on PBS in 1988 and is still one of the most popular series in the history of public television. You can find most, if not all, of this documentary on YouTube. I highly suggest you check it out. It is absolutely fascinating and incredibly thought-provoking. That documentary, as I mentioned, was concerned with the monomyth. This was a concept that Campbell identified during his writing of the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Now, the theory is basically this. There is a common pattern that exists beneath the narrative elements of most great myths, regardless of their origin or the time period in which they were created. Campbell was interested in the common threads that were used when discussing the mythological roots that we find across cultures and religions. And when you look at it, it seems to make perfect sense. There are a few ways to discuss this. We're going to go from the very high-level 30,000-foot view down to the ground. The eye-in-the-sky view is as simple as this. In most myths, you see three parts and two levels. The three parts, much like a three-act play, are the departure, the initiation, and the return. Now, imagine superimposed onto those three parts, you have two levels that are the known and the unknown. The departure is from a place that is known, perhaps even ordinary. And it moves into an initiation and adventure into something mysterious and unknown. Now, within the mysterious, there are dangers and trials in that initiation that provide some sort of clarity or reward that you then return to the known world with as a changed person. It comes full circle. Now, there are 12 stages to the hero's journey that further cement these parts and levels and add to its mythic qualities. So I'm actually going to describe them here using a few of the examples that I mentioned before. But if you'd like to read more on this and do your own research, I highly suggest you do so. So, stage one. In stage one, we find our protagonist in the ordinary world, or, honestly, whatever is ordinary to them. Because, if you think about it from our perspective, the reader, there's nothing that ordinary about living in a closet under the stairs like Harry Potter. Or in the Shire, like Frodo, Bilbo, and Sam. Or living on a moisture farm on Tatooine, like Luke Skywalker. But that is their normal and ordinary life. In stage two, there is a call to adventure. For Harry, it's the invitation to Hogwarts. For Frodo, it's Gandalf's visit where he entrusts him with the ring. For Luke, it's R2-D2 projecting the message from Leia and old Ben Kenobi telling him about his Jedi heritage. Now, early on, there is a refusal to accept the call to adventure for numerous reasons. And this is stage three. Harry tells Hagrid that he's made a mistake and that he can't be a wizard. Frodo doesn't think he should be entrusted with the ring. 
and throughout the story, he tries to give it away. Luke doesn't want to leave his aunt and uncle behind on the farm. And then stage four, meeting the mentor. Oftentimes, the call to adventure comes from a mentor, but not all the time. Harry has a lot of people that serve this role besides Hagrid, but chief among them is Dumbledore, of course. But you can also make a case that Ron and Hermione serve this purpose as well. Frodo has Gandalf at first, and then Sam, always Sam. And Luke has Obi-Wan. With the completion of these first four stages and moving into the fifth, we move from departure to initiation. So remember the first act to the second act, and you're going from known, the ordinary world, to unknown. This is best seen when in stage five, we cross some sort of threshold. This is sometimes a point of no return where the protagonist either can't or won't return until they've completed their adventure. For Harry, it's literally walking through a wall and stepping up onto platform nine and three quarters to get to the train to Hogwarts. For Frodo and Sam, it's as simple as taking those first steps out of the Shire. For Luke, it's much more dire. He realizes that the Empire is looking for C-3PO and R2-D2, and he speeds back to the farm to find his aunt and uncle dead dead by the hands of the stormtroopers that were searching for the droids. He returns to Obi-Wan and pledges to go with him to Alderaan to learn the ways of the Force. In Stage 6, we are often given a behind-the-scenes look at some sort of training or testing, and you also meet additional allies, and you might meet some enemies. For Harry, he meets Ron, Hermione, and Draco on the train. And when finally at Hogwarts, we see his training and education taking form, as well as meeting new characters like Snape, McGonagall. And depending on the specific book in the series, <laughs> you find out who the Defense of the Dark Arts teacher is, who also oftentimes is an enemy. And of course, we become familiar with Voldemort in more detail. For Frodo and Sam, ultimately, after his encounter with the Ring Wraiths, the Fellowship is formed. For Luke, we encounter Han and Chewie, and on the way to Alderaan and the Millennium Falcon, Luke, as guided by Obi-Wan, begins his training on the lightsaber and understanding of the Force. Now, stage seven and eight, in my mind, are the heart of the story. So, I'm going to take both of these at once. Stage seven is the approach to the inmost cave, and stage eight is the ordeal. This is where our hero gets closer to the goal, but is also in the most danger. In the Harry Potter story, we see this along with almost every other stage in every book. In the Sorcerer's Stone, this is where Harry, Ron, and Hermione attempt to get the stone before Snape, whom they perceive of as a threat at the time. Their ordeal is in surviving the obstacles set up to protect the stone. In Lord of the Rings, we find the Fellowship struggling to survive the journey and they're forced into the minds of Maria. And at a different level, we also see Frodo and Gandalf discuss the dangers of the ring. And then they face the ordeal of the orcs and the Balrog. For Luke and his friends in A New Hope, the approach is when coming upon Alderaan and finding it destroyed. They're caught in the tractor beam of the Death Star, which pulls them into their ordeal with Darth Vader, and finally escaping. Stage 9. Stage 9 closes out the initiation act, 
and it's the reward, or the act of seizing it. For Harry, it's entering the room where the stone is hidden, learning the power in the mirror of Erised, and by the magic of Dumbledore and his own pure intention, he's able to retrieve the stone. Frodo, now corrupted by the ring's power, no longer wants to destroy it. He wants to keep it for himself as a reward. The reward for Luke, after escaping the Death Star, rescuing Princess Leia and retrieving the valuable information on the plans of the Death Star, the reward for him is to become the resistance pilot that he wanted to be at the very beginning and join the rebels to destroy the Empire. Now we get to the last act and what we think is some sort of resolution to the stories. In stage 10, it's the road back. Harry, who thinks he's successfully achieved his goal, must face off with a possessed Professor Quirrell. For Frodo, this takes an interesting turn. Gollum bites off his finger with the ring on it and jumps after it, effectively waking Frodo up. Luke, after completing his initial quest of rescuing Princess Leia, spurns Han's offer to leave and decides to help destroy the Death Star. Stage 11 is Resurrection. Harry wakes up in the hospital after his confrontation with Voldemort through Quirrell and learns that he was protected by his mother's love. Frodo and Sam are reunited with the Fellowship after the defeat of Sauron. Luke, with the voice of Obi-Wan and the Force guiding him, is able to destroy the Death Star. And then finally, stage 12, the return. Harry must return to the Dursleys, his ordinary world. But he does so with a new vigor and understanding of the world of magic, with a new power. He's been changed by the adventure, and his life will never be the same. Frodo, ultimately changed by the experience, rather than going off on his own, he and Sam join together for the next adventure. In many ways, the friendship of Frodo and Sam is the ordinary world for Frodo. And then we have Luke, who is rewarded along with Han, and finally Chewie, who gets his medal in The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Spoiler alert. His ordinary life is gone. He has no real reason to go back to Tatooine, but his newfound power in the Force and the opportunity to go off on a new quest, that becomes his new normal. If we skip ahead to The Empire Strikes Back, the cycle gets going again. And you really notice this, especially with his time of tests and training on Dagobah with Yoda. So, okay, I know that was a bit of a whirlwind traipse through the hero's journey, and those are just three examples from some of the most well-known books and movies of the 20th century. But myth, at its core, is more pervasive. I could spend another 30 minutes just listing off world myths and how the hero's journey is a common thread that holds them all together. But that is why we read, and why you should really check out Campbell's book, because that's exactly what that book does. I had a theology professor who was fond of saying that just because something is a myth doesn't make it any less true. Myths have often been created to communicate and imagine a deeper truth that explains the natural world. Myths and folklore play an important role in society, as they are a way in which a given culture informs its populace about origins and beliefs that are unique to that region. Myth and religion are absolutely connected, and in many cases, perhaps synonymous. 
If we can imagine ourselves as a combination of spirit and substance, myths are the connective tissue. They're the ligaments that hold us together. They explain not the scientific rationale of how or why we came to be, but they explain the spiritual rationale of how or why we are here. Now, I've said a billion times before on this podcast that I feel like my purpose is to be standing in between science and spirit and to weave them together in a story that communicates purpose through empathy. So why is this important to me? Why did I just take the last 15 minutes to talk about the hero's journey with you? Well, I think I can answer that in a couple ways. First, I think we have a responsibility in understanding our own story and the power that it holds. We are all on our own hero's journey. We will all embark on adventures, big and small. We will all find allies and enemies and face trials and stare down foes, both internal and external. And there's a reward every single time. We learn something that gives us something that we didn't have before. A new lease on life, perhaps even a power like the energy of connection and empathy. And it provides a new way to look at the world where we can return as a changed person to share our newfound power with those around us. The second way I would answer that question is to understand where we are at in the journey and to also realize that everyone is on their own path, their own hero's journey. Regardless of your relationship with them, they are the hero in their own story. And knowing that and being able to recognize what stage they might be on gives you an incredible perspective into their life, and it increases our power of empathy. Empathy is about listening to someone's story. We do that from gut-level instinct first, and then leaning in with curiosity and listening to their story, their own hero's journey. I started with an idea that I was going to use this as my review for Star Wars. And now I realize I might need to save that for another bonus episode. (laughs) If I do it at all, I'm not sure yet. But this will launch us into the month of January as a reflection on the hero's journey and how understanding it can invigorate your passion for people and launch you into 2020 with a new hope. I hope you join me. This is your call to adventure. Will you answer it? Thanks for listening, y'all. I hope you come back to hear the remainder of the episodes on the hero's journey and how it can impact your life. You can find more information at empathyand.com or at the Facebook group, which you can also find at the website. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email me at empathyand at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Blessings.